I wanted to take a minute to thank Northeast Farrier Supply for sponsoring our podiatry clinic in April 2022. They always put their customer first and have a wide variety of farrier supplies, including the new Eclipse Horseshoe, made out of a patented polymer that mimics the natural elasticity of the barefoot hoof. The Eclipse shoe was designed by a Cornell-trained vet and farrier and is economically priced to be able to help more horses. You can check them out at northeastfarrier.com. Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. I know a lot of us were always taught that it's taboo to talk about money. We should just keep our finances and our money habits private. That's not for public conversations. Well, today's conversation is going to be doing the exact opposite, diving into the costs and considerations hoof care providers make when setting their prices. I think many pros, let alone owners, have no idea exactly what it costs us to run our businesses. I chatted with four hoof care providers from three different countries to discuss what some of the hidden costs are in hoof care, how we can minimize our expenses, and why it can seem like hoof care sometimes is quote unquote so expensive. Why don't we start with Carrie, because that's the first name that comes up on my list. If you want to <laughs> just say, you know, what area you work in, what kind of work you do. Okay. Um, so my name is Carrie Rule, and I'm with Onacona Farrier Service. And I service most of East Central Illinois, as well as Southern Illinois and West Central Missouri, which is mostly like the St. Louis area. And I was certified with Ida Hammer under her whole horse certification. And I also do nail-on shoes in addition to composite shoeing. And my primary goal is healthy barefoot. And I learned how to shoe understanding that not all horses are completely healthy barefoot. And there are applications where you do need a nail on shoe. All right. Rose, do you want to go next? Yes. Hi. So I'm Rose Zwanenberg. I'm in Nova Scotia, Canada. Um, and I say the whole province because it's like real small. So I'll pretty much go anywhere. <laughs> but I stay like I'm, I'm located basically right in the center of the province. And I kind of have a range that's like an hour and a half like radius around me. Although like one of those arms is the ocean. So I don't go that way. Um, uh, yeah, so I like do barefoot trimming and I do composite shoeing, both nail and guans, like similar to what uh, Carrie said. My goal is kind of always, can I get this horse healthy enough to go barefoot? But I learned to shoe because frankly, part of it was a business-based decision. Like I think that makes sense for part what we're talking about for the podcast is that the market in my area for people who are super dedicated enough to like make all of the changes they needed for total barefoot rehab just wasn't going to allow me to eat um, and have enough folks. So I needed some more tools in my toolbox. So um, I don't nail steel or other metal, but I do nail composite or do glue on packages and uh, boot fitting. So that is me. Awesome. And Kristen? Hi, yeah, I'm Kristen Thornberry and I am located in Northwest Arkansas and I am also predominantly a barefoot trimmer and I actually used to be a traditional farrier back like 15 years ago when I started this. And it's so funny that the 
other people on the call have said that they're offering nail-on composites because I've actually been considering getting back into that as well for similar reasons. But right now I predominantly do everything through barefoot. I have a handful of clients that I have in glue-on shoes and I also do Formahoof. And um, before I was a farrier as well, I used to do a lot of training with problem horses. So I don't do any lessons or training anymore, but <laughs> it's just, it's just hoof care, but it's, you know, it all revolves around my love for the horses always. And that's really why I wanted to get on here and have this discussion that we're all going to have today. Cause I think it's so important for everybody that's in this business right now, but yeah, that's me. That's it. <laughs> awesome. Hey, I think Libby just hopped on. Hello. How are you doing? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. If you want to say your name and what area you work in and what kind of focus you have in your hoof care practice. Okay. Um, yeah, my name's Libby Fulman, T-H-O-R-M-A-N. I work out of Fife in Scotland, but I cover, well, probably won't mean anything to you guys, Stirlingshire, Persinkin Ross and Edinburgh. So basically, pretty much an hour, an hour and 15 minutes radius drive away is the easiest way I can describe it. I've been at this about, I think it must be about 17 years now. And I started off because our local farriers were rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> and well, so, sorry, go on. They weren't necessarily, I, I didn't really know that they were rubbish at the time, if you like. But I had a horse and one heel on him, one of his feet seems to be growing at a funny angle compared to the rest. Um, and I kept asking, we had various farriers come through the area at the time. And I kept asking and saying, oh, you know, what about this? And they were all going, oh, it's just the way he is. And I'm going, but it's not just the way he is. There's something funny happening. And it wasn't until a friend of mine pinted off some stuff about from Pete Ramey. And then he talked about how to get a heel to grow straight. And I went, well, you know, if it can be done, why aren't the farriers doing it? So I ended up having to go myself and the thing grew straight. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> 17 years later, I'd given up my what was full-time job and, and I'm now doing this pretty much full-time and making a, enjoying it, you know. So there you go. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so, late in life, but that's the way it goes. So. Yeah. Um, awesome. So, you know, when we all started in hoof care, I know that I didn't really have a very gr firm grasp on how I should be pricing my work. And I would love to hear if any of you had better strategies than I did on, uh, you know, when you started your business, how were you determining what your prices were going to be for clients? Um, I like, I'm probably the newest one of us here. So it's like, it's very fresh in my mind. And I, I think like what you said earlier, Alicia, before we sort of officially started was like, Hey, what are other people pricing? Like he's going for in the area. That was a big determining factor which like I could be fancy and call market research but is also just laziness <laughs> so I mean I remember when I started out I had like an idea of what I thought would be reasonable based on what I wanted to be making and what I know people were charging and I do remember also feeling a little anxious because I was going to be charging more out of the gate than like the barn ferry or where I board for just a basic trim and I remember feeling like "Ooh, I don't know if I can do that so that was like my first, my first act of standing up for my way work as, and like, as a business person was like, no, it's fine. I can do that. It's like only $5 more, whatever you can do it lady. So uh, that's where I started. So it's not very sophisticated. Yeah. Yeah. My, mine was similar. I apprenticed for a while with a 
AFA certified farrier. And I looked at what he was charging and I was like, well, I can't charge that much because he has so much more experience than I do, right. you know? And so I, I'm, first of all, I am terrible at the business side of things or have been through the years. So starting out, I was just horrendous with how I priced my services and my skills. But I started off what I feel is like pretty low. Cause like I said, I learned how to issue and trim about 15 years ago. And what I am charging now is what he was charging then. And so, and even though now I know a lot of uh, customers think that I'm on the high end for my area, I, I mean, the cost of living has increased so much since then. <laughs> yeah. That I'm since like, like last week. Right. Exactly. And I'm like, overall as an industry, I mean, I think farriers, barefoot trimmers, everybody involved in this, this trade, I don't think we have either started charging enough at the very beginning, like I did. I, I certainly did not. And then have not kept pace with the right. cost of living in the areas where we work. Right. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's some of our biggest struggles. I've helped a couple of newer farriers in my area and they always come up with the same thing of, you know, I I was really fortunate when I started out. So my boyfriend is self-employed. So, you know, he and I were able to sit down and say, you know, okay, what do I need to cover the bills that I have? And that includes like the expenses of buying my tools, you know, Mm -hmm. keeping the truck up and running. And then we were able to sit down and be like, okay, I need to make, xyz a month to make sure all of my needs are met and i've seen it a lot with newer farriers so around my area of 45 dollars for them is kind of the standard rate and these new guys would come up and they'd be like well i should be charging like 30 or 35 because i don't have experience and then what happens is they're they're basically doing all this work to go to their client's house and do the like actually do the work and a lot of people don't realize that a lot of farriers at the end of the day when all of, all of our expenses are taken care of you know we don't even make minimum wage that's exactly where i was at i was that new farrier that was charging $35 a horse and i even distinctly remembering i had one client that bargained with me for that price because she thought I was too high. And I ended up doing her horses for $20 a head. Stop <laughs> it. No, no. Not even joking. No. Yeah, exactly. Like, like I said, I am terrible at the business side of things. Um, I have improved over the years. That is not me now. That was the old me. <laughs> but no joke. And I, and I just you know, wanted to be there to help the horse and was so concerned that if I argued back with her, you know, or debated the price of my trim with her that I would lose the client. And back when I was getting started, I was so concerned about losing clients that I tried to keep my prices low in order to keep them. I looked at what the farriers were charging because basically I was going to be in direct competition to them. Went along that lines. I knew there was a couple of trimmers who visited the area and they charged through the nose. And I thought, well, you know, they are traveling a long way, so it's not worth me. I think that's being greedy, charging that. So I didn't. In 17 years, the only thing I've really done is I've, if I've got a new person coming on, I've taken distance more into, into the equation and just charged more for the actual mileage side of things. 
the biggest saving that I gave myself was to change the Cody James rasps from standard rasps. Yeah. And I remember when I started, I was stressing about pricing and you know I had already been trimming for a little bit and I messaged my friend Beth Lewis who's been on this podcast a few times and asked her like oh my goodness what should I charge I know that I'm new and I don't want to charge you know xyz she said well how much does a trim cost you and I was like what yeah what is that even <laughs> I was like cost me I don't know like I show up with my tools and I take like I trim the foot what do you mean what does it cost me and she's like well yeah. For each horse on your books, like how much of your expenses are divided up for that horse? Like how much is, you know, everything, your, your tools, your, you know, your rasps, your nippers, your knives, your um, insurance, like all these kind of things, like how much of that is devoted to one horse. And when I first started, I was charging, you know, a lot less than I am now because I was like, well, I'm new. I can't, I can't charge that much. And trims were taking me longer, a lot longer. Um, so I was already paying myself less that way, but I realized when I first started a trim was costing me just over $19 when I divided up my supplies and I was charging like barely double that. So yeah, it was, it was something I'd never thought about. So I thought we could talk a little bit about our expenses and where that kind of comes in. Um, so obviously all of us, I think do a little bit of, you know, specialty shoeing and taking into account like therapeutic cases. Um, so I thought we could talk a little bit about the cost there, which I know is going to be a lot different than the cost of a trim. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. You're sure right. But I think a lot of people have this idea that, you know, oh, well, farriers make so much money shoeing and shoeing is where all the money is. And, you know, maybe we could break down some of that. <laughs> What I find interesting about that is that, like, I feel like there's, I get caught between these two perspectives of, like, if I go at shoeing, like, even if I do, like, a basic, let's say, like, my most basic nailed-on composite package, um, like, the shoes that I tend to use the most for nailing are Duplos, and if I get, like, the most basic pair I can, that's about, that costs me, like, $35, and then you know, nails, like they're not expensive, but they're not free. And I rarely shoe anything without like packing with a little bit of dim. So like at the absolute bare bones, it's costing me say like $50 or $55 to just like to have the materials, the shoeing materials. And then there's, you know, of course, like you mentioned earlier, the, the rasps and the hammer and nippers and blah, 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 all of the tools that we need on top of just trimming tools. So like clinchers and et cetera. So I feel like, you know, the cost is already to me so much higher than just a trim, which is not nothing. And so like, you can go at it from this perspective of pure business, like, okay, well I charge like X percent markup and then I charge my time and then I charge my trim. And by the time I get to that, I'm like, okay, so would you like to pay $350 for like a half set of shoes when everyone who's nailing on steel charges like 120 how does that sound does that sound good to you um, and then I like I find my heartstrings getting tugged because I'm like oh well I know this would be really good for the horse I'm like okay well I can probably get like this many resets out of this pair of shoes like what if I like go down by this much and then I'm still making that much but I can still help the horse and I just get like caught in this little tsunami which is I don't know it's hard it's hard to look at it as like for me anyway, as just, just business, which is probably to my detriment, but I don't know. It's like, we're dealing with like humans and animals here. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I feel the same way. I make 
the most money by far off of doing just trims. Same. When I calculate it out. Yep. And I can do three to four horses in an hour. When I'm doing my most basic, like glue on shoe package, it usually takes me an hour and a half to two hours mm-hmm. plus the cost of materials. So when I did the math on all that, and this is for my most basic package, I usually use around one tube of a polyurethane glue with say like an easy care performance shoe. And I basically only make money off of my trim while I do that. And like I said, I can trim three to four horses in an hour. When a pair of glue on shoes takes me an hour and a half to two hours, I'm not getting paid for any of that time. Basically I'm, I'm, I've spent the money on the materials and I've been paid for my trim. So I try to tell people when they're looking at the cost of a glue on shoe package that in comparison to the money I make trimming, I'm losing money applying them. So when people, you know, have complaints about the price point for those products and services, it can be a little frustrating, you know, when they don't, they don't understand my business model. And like you said as well, that, like we're all in it for the horse. And so it does tug at our heartstrings and we want to do the best we can for the horse and provide them with the best care possible and the best setup and shoeing package that will help them. Right. And that's, that's really like a catch 22. You're always in between a rock and a hard place between doing the right thing and being compensated for your time. Right. Yeah, I feel like this is like going to be a showcase of like, hey, bad business practices. Like, <laughs> how not to emotionally run your business? A seminar. Right. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because obviously we can talk about the individual supplies that we have to have in order to apply a glue on. Like, you know, before I even touch the horse, I'm already in over a hundred dollars, <laughs> you know, of expenses. Right. Just right. In, in what I'm you know, what I've bought to put on the horse. But I think a lot of people don't even recognize the other kind of unseen expenses. Good and point. I probably should have put this question before that, just so that we can back up and really look at what money is going out in order to just operate as a business. Like, where are those expenses going? Three things that popped into my head that I feel like I'm always, like, you know, spending so much money on is continuing education, which I like refuse yes. to compromise on. Um, yep. Uh, professional memberships, which I'm a part of a few different organizations and insurance and wear and tear on my body, let alone my vehicle. So like, these are all like, these are things that I'm constantly spending money on because I am in this business where if I had a desk job, I wouldn't be necessarily spending this money. Um, wants to go first. <laughs> so I, I think like the unseen expenses, I've been thinking about that a lot. I guess one thing that I've been, has come been coming up for me is coming out of like a corporate world, like a salaried job where it's like, oh, if I like don't work school, I'm still paid or whatever. And I'm like, now I'm like, oh, nope, don't, don't get paid if I don't work. So the idea of like building in safety nets for ourselves, I think is really important. Like I'm coming into a period of probably like, three or four weeks where I can't work at all. And I'm super fortunate that I don't have to be worried about paying medical bills because of health coverage, but I am not going to be making any money for those weeks. And I'm feeling good about the fact that I have built in to my pricing enough that I can feel like marginally okay over the next few weeks. But I also suspect that 
none of my clients, even the ones who would like very happily be like, yes, do that. We appreciate you being alive. Probably don't think about the fact that when they pay me for whatever service, they're also like paying for those times that I might not be able to come and work for them so that in the future I can do it again. Right. So we really have to be like every single thing for ourselves. And I think that's just like the life of any business owner, but like our business really is our bodies in such a specific way that there are these things that probably go on that maybe don't go into, into people's minds when they're thinking about what, what that money goes to. Yeah. Well, I, I, I took some advice. This was a very long time ago and it wasn't just, it was from a, a, a money man rather than anybody else. It was just somebody who fills out advice. And he basically said, whether you're self-employed, whether you're in a job or whatever, he reckons that you should all have two to three months worth of bills and a little bit more tucked to one side so that if you're made redundant or you're self-employed and you can't work, then you've covered your own backside, basically. Mm -hmm. So talking about wear and tear on our body, I know that in Canada and in the UK, you guys have, you have health insurance where you don't necessarily have to like pay to go like if you have an injury or if you have um like do you guys have to pay for the chiropractor or like the like physical therapy uh well i did last year i i had uh, tennis elbow um and i had to i ended up paying for private care basically because we had covid here but although we have national health you know if you have an accident something kicks you or something yeah you're going to get taken off the hospital and all the rest of it and dealt with for free um, and probably from that, you would end up having physio that you would be referred to. And again, that would be through the National Health Service. But for me to get an appointment at the moment with a, like a physio, for instance, would take me months because the queue is so long. So, yes, I, last year I paid for private physio to get my arm sorted out because I needed it. Yeah, it's similar here. So, like. Uh, we have like universal health care. So like we can go to the hospital and like your family doctor and everything is, is covered if you're like a citizen or some particular immigration statuses, but for services like physio or chiropractic, um, unless they're part of like your hospital stay or you get referred to like a particular like program from, from the hospital that is no cost then you do pay out of pocket for those or need to like go through private insurance. Yeah. Um, but like, we don't have like, you know, I just, I just came out of the hospital and I don't have any bills that are coming with me out of that. So that's lovely. Yeah. yeah. I know. I was, I was thinking about that the other day. I actually read a comment that another farrier had posted and this, this will sound way worse coming from a woman, but <laughs> he said, we rent our bodies out. That's part of our job. And I'm like, yeah, it sounds yeah. awful when I say it. But like when you said it, I was like, no, that's that's a very valid point. It is a tough job physically. And we do, like, we only have a certain number of horses in us because there is so much wear and tear on our bodies. Like even working on the best horses, right? Totally. They stand really well and don't pull their feet away and aren't dangerous to handle. And yeah, the, the not having the PTO or paid time off, it is very difficult, isn't it? <laughs> it's <laughs> you know? not the best. No, we had, um, we've had a rough winter here in Arkansas. Well, sort of, it's been weird. It's been very up and down. But in February, I had a two week, two different sets of one week time periods where I didn't work at all. I think I worked oh. about 10 days in February due to weather because in, in the state where I'm at, 
we don't generally have harsh winters. So the area is not set up to facilitate them when they occur. Right. So you can't drive anywhere. You get stuck at home. You know, a lot of my clients don't have a facility where we could work inside if the weather is bad. And so, yeah, 10 days in February, that was it. And I fully, I'm actually the sole provider for my family right now. So when you have a month like that, you know, the stress starts to set in. You're like, oh my gosh, did I put enough away? And, you know, and I'm like, is it that fragile? Our business is that fragile. (laughs) Why is it that fragile? (laughs) Um, And then for me, one of the unseen costs that I think a lot of um, clients maybe don't consider or realize is the cost of rescheduling people. You never, you never actually get that money back. It's not like you go a week later and you do those horses. It's like, no, because then their next schedule is pushed out another, you know, four to eight, eight weeks, whatever schedule they're on. So you don't actually get paid for what you would have been paid right. if you hadn't have had to reschedule all those people. The timeline just gets pushed out further. Right. You're not like deferring the payment that you'll have. No. You're just sort of like, you're basically losing that payment. Exactly. It's just gone. Poof. Yeah. Gone. And, you know, and for some people that are rescheduling for some of these services that take a lot of time, care and consideration, um, that can be very difficult. Like I had a form of application get rescheduled three times. And some of those things were for reasons beyond our control, like people were sick or, you know, things like that. But I schedule a half a day of work specifically for when I do a form of application. And so when you reschedule that three times, that's like a loss of a, of a day and a half of work. It's just gone. Right. And I, that's probably one of the most difficult things with my business is that I reschedule people all the time for various reasons. It's just money gone. And then you try to reschedule those people in a timely manner to get to those horses because, right, it's a living, breathing thing. And they're going to have damage to their feet if they go a significant amount of time without being trimmed. And a lot of the horses on my books are rehabs and some of them can't go more than four weeks. You know, if they go six weeks instead of four weeks, they'll grow an inch of foot. So I try to fit them in as soon as possible. So I'll put them in and maybe on a day where I'm working in an area that's not where that horse is. And then I'll start ping ponging all around the County to try to fit all these horses in because they can't go any longer than what they've already gone. You know, which is a very bad business practice, like we've all been discussing, Um, (laughs) you know, that that I lose so much money when I get to where I'm working outside of a specific area on a specific day and bouncing back and forth and spending lots of money on fuel and wasted time where I could be trimming other horses, like all these little things that go and go into having a successful business, you know, and and it's a mental struggle that, yeah, the rescheduling for me is a huge deal now that I'm actually sitting down and calculating, you know, where I make money and where I lose money. Right. So I don't know if it's the same for anybody else. <laughs> yeah, actually, when you were talking about rescheduling, something that really, you know, struck me and that I've been thinking about the last few days is when people reschedule and I go back to them and, you know, I can't fit them in immediately because I have a book schedule. So if they cancel and I have to fit them in, sometimes it's going to be two weeks from then because I just don't have the time before that. Then those feet are in that much worse shape and that much longer, which you think, okay, like you, you know, you lose a little bit in their hoof health, but you can get it back. But not only that, then I am taking, you know, sometimes, you know, 
twice as long on a trim for mm-hmm. the same for the same amount of money because right. they're off schedule and because it's taking longer a lot of times the horses especially in rehab aren't standing as well they're uncomfortable they you know fight me a little bit more i'm taking more time than i usually do so then they might be yanking on my body causing more pain i mean last week because of a horse i went to the chiropractor three times and that's all expenses that are coming out of the money that we make because of what we do in our job oh yeah um, for sure. Yeah. And, and the body thing, that's where I struggled a lot when I first started out because I would get those people that, you know, they're like, we have seven horses. So instead of $40 a trim, could you do like 25 to 30, you know, like a multiple horse discount? And I talked a lot about that a lot with one of my mentors. And, you know, I'm like, hey, so I think one of them was like a 501c3 rescue. And I, they had like 11 or 12 horses. So that would have been like a full day's work for me. And I'm like, you know, they're asking about this discount, like how much off should I give them? And you know, like how, how should I do this? Like, how do I put that on paper? And he kind of stopped and looked at me and he was like, why are you going to do that? Um, because somebody else, as somebody else had said in here, you know, our bodies only have so many trims in them. This isn't, this is a profession that you get in and you're going to do it for 40, 50 years and you're going to be healthy. You know, eventually you're going to look at rotator cuff surgery and back problems and knee problems. And that's if you don't get injured under the horse. So he's like, why are you going to undersell yourself and cutting your career that much shorter per horse, but basically just make enough money to pay for your tools and your drive there. gone off and i was like oh my gosh that makes so much sense i don't know if this is like a well-known quote or if someone told it to me directly so if i'm like doing that thing where i'm like my mom said this but actually it's like my angelou like please tell me i would love to know um but somewhere i heard from someone at some point the idea of just thinking about you know if you feel kind of compelled like oh this is a rescue these horses need help they probably don't have that much funding blah 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 and you're kind of like, oh, but it's really, it is not worth it as a business for me to go and like give a discount on these trims. Um, the idea is that like, okay, so if you feel compelled to do that, then in your regular business, we should be aiming to like charge our typical customers enough so that if we have this feeling that we want to donate some services or like discounts and services that we actually aren't taking like it's not taking a hit. Like it means that, you know, we may not be adding to the plus column, but we're not actually dipping into the minus column. And I feel like that's such a smart perspective and like useful words of advice from whoever said them to me or to someone else at any point in time. Um, for, I think, cause a lot of us get into, I mean, all of us, I think get into this business because we feel really strongly about helping horses and helping the people who have those horses. And it's really hard to not be like, yeah, it's fine. I can take the hit, but we can't take the hit. And we should like find ways to do that, that are, are going to like still help or at least not actively be detrimental to our businesses. Right. Oh yeah. I know. I, I completely know what you're saying. And like, even, even my husband, you know, he knows very little about horses. So he generally gives me decent business advice, (laughs) 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 but he said, you know, for a lot of these people, you know, that are asking for a discount, 
that's like going into Walmart, you know, and checking out with your groceries and the checker says, you know, you owe $150 for your groceries. And you say, well, I only have 75, but can you still sell me all the groceries? And Walmart's going to say, no, you can put half your groceries back and you can pay for the 75 you can afford. And I'm like, we don't, for whatever reason, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it's because we deal with these big, huge live animals that we love, <laughs> that we don't do that. You know, we don't necessarily look at our business model the same. And I know it's been detrimental to me where I'm like, oh, well, you can't afford it. And this horse needs help. So I'm just going to do this for you, you know. But then it's also not fair to all my clients that are paying my standard rate. And so I've always been unsure what to do in the situations like you just discussed where, you know, you have a rescue or you have a situation where maybe people can't afford it, but you still want to help the horse. And I actually had one thing that I was going to look into. I had a client tell me that, um, that I think rescues can apply for grants for specific services or something like that. Because for me, I was like, I know a lot of these horses could really benefit from like a form of health application or for, from an expensive set of glue on shoes, but there's no way that the rescue can afford it. And, and she said, no, there's grants for things like that. And I'm like, well, that's pretty interesting. I might need to look into that, you know, or discuss that with some of these rescues and see if they can look into it where it makes some of these services more affordable to help some of these horses that really need it. Yeah. And actually something that Beth Lewis does, I feel so funny. I'm mentioning her twice. Like, Oh, <laughs> we love Beth. It's yeah. fine. Everyone loves Beth. She's fan the like Beth. Yeah. <laughs> um, also she's like really great at running her business. So, um, but she trims out a few rescues and one of her things that she does is she has them, you know, pay, so if she knows that she wants to give them a discount or she knows she wants to donate services, what she does is she has them pay the amount and then she donates it back to them. And that might sound really weird, but Oh no, that makes it's sense. Because if it's a, it's a 501 C three, you know, you're then getting a tax deduction for right. doing a service for free as opposed to just doing the service for free. And I liked that idea because obviously, you know, we want to help horses, but if that's not going to cost the rescue anything extra and it's going to, you know, give us a little bit of, of money off of our, you know, end of year expenses, then that's a huge help. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, something else that I think, at least for me, I've spent the most on, and maybe because I'm a wicked nerd, but... Um, <laughs> Is continuing education and not even necessarily just the cost of a clinic and just the cost of a webinar. But for me, it's like traveling, like, you know, hopping on a plane, you know, staying in a hotel, possibly renting a car, paying for meals somewhere else where I'm not cooking at home, just to learn how to do my job better has been a huge expense. And I don't know if you guys have, you know, had to experience that. Personally, I mean, I think I've paid for one or two webinars on certain topics, you know, dissections and things like that. But actually, I mean, with COVID, we've all been we've all been slam dunked and can't go anywhere anyway. But mm. there is so much. Actually, there is so much now out there on the webs, which is free. But yeah, being able to contact people and, and to be honest, people I found in the barefoot world who know more than me are more than happy to have a conversation about it. Are more than happy to chat and share their findings. 
Yeah, I I just find so much benefit from going to like hands-on dissection courses or like I've taken biomechanics courses. Um, in the states, we're allowed to do like you know I've taken like boot fitting, like gone and done boot fitting in person or worked with different reps or gone to conferences mm-hmm. like the NAEP conference to see you know I've been able to see Dr. Balkin in person, um, Paige Poss in person, um, you know other like at the horse. What are they doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just find that to be so beneficial, at least for like in my practice, because I'm such a visual learner, um, that just reading something, sometimes I'm not always grasping what, you know. Yeah, I, I, I like, I prefer a video and a, and a conversation to reading some, to reading a, a sheet. Yeah. Sheet of paper. Um, but actually there's very little in the UK. Hmm. Yeah. I don't really know what's, what's over there. I feel like from a business perspective, though, even like, so, you know, Alicia, you're talking about, you know, putting out a fairly significant output of expense to travel or pay for hands-on you learning experiences or even, you know, distance, but still like official courses or whatever. And, you know, Libby, you're saying it's reading and reaching out to people. And a lot of that can be done without cost to you, but both in incur time, right? So like you're both, whatever, whatever approach you take, you're still incurring like that time and energy that you're spending to improve and hone your skill and your understanding. And so it's great if I can spend, you know, two, three weeks, like reading something and learning and practicing and and doing it by myself. And it doesn't cost me any money, but it's still something that I have learned and improved on so that as a business person in my practice, I can then charge for that. And I feel like I I should charge for that because I'm offering a better and more comprehensive service. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe something that, um, from a client perspective, like, I feel like all of these things, like no, none of our clients are going to be like, no, I disagree, but it's just things that maybe aren't thought about, you know, when we, when we show up and we, we trim, like, you know, my most basic trims, I'm like bringing my hoof stand and my rasp and a couple other things out of the car and, you know, setting up, doing my trim and going on my way. So it sort of seems really simple, but I could have done like a whole course in between the last time I trimmed them and this time, you know, it could be like four or five weeks and I could have learned an entirely new skill that I'm applying. And so that's something that, again, like if we're trying to be like business minded, we, we do have the option to kind of add that and say, Hey, I've learned this and I've improved and I'm doing a better job. So that is reflected in how I'm going to charge you. Oh yeah. I have something to add to that as well, because I learned something amazing from one of Yogi Sharp's webinars that he recently had. Right. And like, thankfully, webinars are not hugely expensive, but, you know, some of the some of the clinics I go to, like they are expensive, like you said, Mm -hmm. with travel and all the rest of it. Um, But what I learned in that one webinar has helped so many horses, you know, and like I don't I don't think that maybe some owners maybe understand the positive impact of the continuing education we all do and how mm-hmm. it directly benefits to their, their horse to a point where it's like, if you didn't have that information, their horse might still be lame or might become right. lame, you know, or something that makes the horse completely unusable. Like, you know, most clients that have horses, they want to ride. Right. <laughs> and like yeah. we're, we help facilitate that passion of theirs. We <laughs> thinking about that too, with like some added costs, you know, like, like for yes. the Metron hoof software, you know, and for the workman black, like a lot of this technology that's coming out where we're starting to see how positively that technology 
can improve our business and improve the health of these horses hooves, but there's a cost to it. Yep. You know, um, I don't even know how much some of that stuff costs, but I, I do know how much, you know, like the form of hoof costs me, <laughs> right. you know? And so for a lot of these new technologies that are improving our overall knowledge of hoof care, that's another ca- cost. I think we're all going to have to factor in for what we're charging for each horse. I know that there are people that say like, oh, well, this trim only took you, you know, 20 minutes or this trim, you know, it only took you this amount of time to do this thing. But Mm -hmm. if people think about the time we put in outside of the time at the horse, like the time we put into learning. And I mean, I know that those of us on this call are probably the ones that are reading and watching webinars and, and talking to other hoof care providers. And, you know, we don't always take our time off as time off you know we're we're putting, oh, yeah. we're putting in that time to learn more and a lot of times we're coming to this horse and yeah that might only take us a few minutes to correct that one thing on that horse but it's taken us sometimes years to be able to have that skill to be able to come up there and you don't do that you don't pay, you don't pay me to take corn off you pay me to know what to leave on yeah it's the mm-hmm. knowledge, right? They're paying us for the knowledge in what so, we're seeing, you know? Yeah. And I think too, like when it comes to charging and, and how we can make these things, you know, because we're, we're trying to sort of have a discussion about, I guess, expenses and costs and expenses and pricing and that kind of thing. Like one strategy that I have been trying to apply is like taking my background. So what I did before moving full-time into hoof care was that I worked in communications. And so something that I've been trying to apply is really making sure that my clients know the kind of continuing education that I'm doing. So like Alicia, like I'm so jazzed that I'm going to come to the clinic that you're hosting in April. I've told literally every client about it, like mostly because I'm excited, but also it's strategic. And you see that like, okay, I'm, I'm going to these, these events, I'm learning things, I'm making connections with people. I also like if I encounter something that I'm, you know, like maybe I'm not 100% confident on the best way to approach something. One of the strategies I have both to help the horse the best and also to make my clients feel reassured is that I let them know that I have a network of people who are, you know, mentors and colleagues that I have available that I can reach out and have a discussion. So I can say like, Hey, I'm going to talk to so-and-so and I'm going to come up with a plan and we're going to decide what to do. And I think that's super valuable. And the feedback that I've gotten from folks is like, oh my God, you know, when I was working with, you know, Joe Blow Farrier, and we have a really, really lovely farrier named Joe in my area. Joe, I'm not talking about you. But, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I'm talking, when I worked with, you know, so-and-so for however many years, like they never mentioned that, or they never said they were going to these educational events. And I'm, maybe they did and maybe they didn't, but it certainly makes more sense for my clients if I'm charging you know, a higher rate or I have to charge more for a service. If I've been continually communicating with them that like, Hey, I'm doing X and Y and Z, and this is how I'm improving. And this is how I'm making it better for your horse. They're like really chill about paying for that because they see the value. Like it's about making people see that you're bringing actual value to them rather than just like throwing a number at them. That might be a little bit distressing if they just think of you as someone who shows up and does 20 minutes of work. Right. Well said. I agree. But it's hard because also it's like scary. You're worried that people are going to be like, no. Right. <laughs> I, I know Carrie, I'm sorry you have 
uh, I, I want to make sure you didn't want to say anything. I know you've been a little quiet. No pressure. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like the, the continued education is absolutely huge. So I'm constantly um, kind of like Libby. You know, I do a lot of, I watch a lot of webinars and I have a small fortune of books that I've bought. I don't think I've bought one book that was under $100. And these are all expenses that I go through to make myself better for my clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people don't realize that without that exploration and continue education, that our hoof care cases are more difficult and the less knowledge we have, you know what I mean? Uh, it, it, something as simple, like you said, as diet, like knowing how to make those little diet adjustment adjustments makes our job easier and makes the horse healthier. Um, yeah. So I know that we've talked a lot about those, I mean, various unseen costs and obviously it's different in different countries. Like, you know, in, in the States, we have to cover our insurance. Um, some of us might be looking at like liability insurance, obviously, you know, car insurance, that kind of thing. Um, but what do any of you do to try to minimize costs in your business? Um, I'll just say, like, I know routes, like travel routes is one big thing, but I don't know if there's any other uh, things that you guys want to discuss. I say changing to the Cody James Ross, actually, a lot of people don't like them, but um, a Ross, a normal Ross over here is now about 30 quid each. Mm-hmm. And yes. I do a lot of, I do a lot of horses where they're literally pulled out of the mud and handed to me. And, you know, people just don't understand respect anymore. I would never do that for so who's care provider. But, you know, people don't understand it. Um, yeah. You do, you wreck a Ross in yeah. one trend. Yeah. But with the Code of James Ross, you just keep going. And I think in, I mean, I was going through, I was going through a, a normal Ross every, about every eight horses over here. It was crazy wow. at specific times of the year. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of horses standing out in the middle of a field, you know. So every time you put the foot down, you pick it back up. I don't want to. I don't want to be pissing about cleaning it off every time. I just want to get on with the job. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cody James, I, I maybe use four a year, so that's what. That's oh my 55, god, fifty-five quid each. So that makes me what two hundred twenty quid a year in Rost. That's amazing. Where I was knocking on the door of eight, eight, nine hundred quid a year in Rost with the other ones, wow. and and with the you know. What do you do with them once once they're done? You know, send them to set yeah. scrap metal merchant. But it's still it's using Earth's resources much mm-hmm. faster. Where I actually don't need to be. Huh. So yeah, it was things like that that I was looking at. Yeah, car insurance. I always shop around when it comes to the renewal, um, and and do what you can do on that. And again, actually, the other thing with the buying the, buying the Skoda this time. My last car was two hundred and sixty pounds a year in road tax, and this one's thirty quid. Wow. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll have that. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. even something I did notice too. Like, because I'm from California originally, and I've been in Arkansas now for close to twelve years. And uh, when we were paying, you know, twelve years ago back in California for our vehicle registration. It was like, I think $450 for our trucks. And here in Arkansas, it's like $35 a year. Wow. So, I mean, there's huge discrepancy for, you know, all all of these healthcare providers in various states and countries for how much it costs them just to go across the road. (laughs) 
Yeah. And, and the routes has been the biggest thing for me because some of my clients are almost three hours away. Wow. So, Wow. So I schedule them like I have what I call my Southern Illinois A route and my Southern Illinois B route, my central route, my Indiana route and my Northern Illinois route. I don't go further north than Pontiac at this time. Um, and that's about an hour north of where I live. But and the first thing I do when a potential new client approaches me is I'm like, OK, where exactly is the horse located? And I have Google Maps set up and I have what I call my trimming map. And that's where I pinpoint all of the locations of different clients and they're all color coded. So like my, my Southern God, Illinois so route. Yeah, yes. I know. It's great. But like my Southern Illinois A route is green and my B route is purple. So I may see that they're 10 minutes away from a purple mark. And I'm like, okay, so you're going to fit in on somewhere on this three-day route that I have. And then I can look at the times and I've gotten really good at kind of guessing how long each stop will take me. Mm-hmm. And I normally schedule like a 10 or 15 minute window in between because, you know, I might have to stop and get fuel, use a restroom, grab a quick bite to eat. And then so I could say, OK, so, you know, you're 20 minutes away from this client. They normally take you know, their appointments, say, nine o'clock in the morning normally takes me an hour I'm done by 10. I could be there at. 10 30 10 45 and that I'm, was like my jaws on the ground i'm like ooh, color coded google maps i'm like <laughs> feeling really proud of myself for my paper calendar yeah. <laughs> I, I, and i can send it to you like i need to update it because i've added a lot of new clients but um and you know that was huge because somebody said it before so my first time going to southern illinois i did a lot of that ping-ponging and because I went down there and first of all, I did almost 35 horses in a day. And that was absolute terror. I could not move for days after that. So that was when I sat down and I was like, I, I have to do better at this. There's got to be a better way. Wow. And then that was when I created that map. And then I let the clients know like, hey, I'm breaking this up in a two day thing. Does Friday or Saturday work better for you? And then that's where it kind of took off. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, I think as I'm like, like I said, newer um, than most of you, all of you, and definitely newer at being full time. And so, you know, I, you know, like I'm, I'm fairly busy, but I wouldn't say that I'm like, my books are completely full. So one thing that I've had to do over the, the last little while is be really strict with myself about if I get a call from someone that's like, Hey, you know, I, are you available? Like, can you work for me? Like technically I can look at my books and be like, yeah, totally. I can find a place for you, but I've had to be really on top of myself and say like, is there not within where I already service? I either have to say no, or I have to be really super upfront about what I will have to charge them to go see them as like a single trip and about being really like, and this is is just my personality because I'm a little bit, um, I say I'm scared of confrontation, but I like think everything is confrontation. I'm like, I look at someone and I'm like, Ooh, don't be too assertive. Um, so, you know, I have to be uh, like, someone's like, Oh, can you come soon? And I have to be able to say like, no, I can't come tomorrow, but I can come when I'm there in the area again in four weeks. And I think that that seems super basic, but um, like just as someone starting out, it can be tough. You I have a blank day in my schedule. Well, why shouldn't I go? out there and you know see this person and then get them as a client but ultimately it's super detrimental if you have people on these like insane 
like you don't even have routes. You're just like zooping all over the place and spending literally all of your life on gas. Right. And I mean, like you said, like when someone reschedules, that can throw off, that can add a huge expense. Yeah. Just getting back out there again and trying to fit them in. Like you were saying, I mean, that's, it goes back to our conversation about why rescheduling is costing, costs us money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I had to do, and I just, I started doing this last year because there was a period of time where I hit where these clients would, they'd cancel on me at the last minute. And so I put together what I call a new client packet and that outlines my expectations of the client as well as what they can expect out of me. And then it has the full service list and what I charge. But, and and part of that is I have what's called a customer loyalty program. So they could save a little bit of money after they've been on, on my roster for X amount of time. Um, But it also had, and I don't know about everybody else because in Illinois, there's no regulations against this, but I can store um, credit cards on file using Square. And in that contract, it outlines that if you do not, it, like if you cancel and it's a not like a non-event emergency. So, you know, somebody, hey, I forgot our appointment. Like, can we reschedule? Then I have to charge a cancellation fee and that's the cost of one trim. Okay. And because it, it was aggravating for me for a while because there was one point um, when I went ahead and decided to pull the trigger on that. Um, this gal had 10 or 11 horses. So I had half a day blocked off for them. And, you know, the morning of I'm on my way to their house and then, you know, I sent them a text message like, Hey, I got to stop for fuel, but I'm running right on time. I'll be there at 10 30. And she was like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like I have to cancel. Yeah. And, you know, no, like, that's not cool. Yeah. And I'm like, that was so frustrating for me. Like, especially I drive a diesel. That's my, that's my daily driver. And, you know, I'm like, I just took all of this time. Like I had other clients that I could have scheduled on this day. Like, what am I going to do? And so one of the things I go through is like, I see a therapist because I see a lot of things. And I I sat there and I was like, you know, my therapist has a cancellation fee. Like, why don't I have a cancellation fee? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's clearly outlined in that new client packet, which is essentially like a, a contract with the client. Yeah, yeah I've, I've done the same thing. I have it on my website where I have um, expectations of my human clients and expectations of my horse clients. And then I have a form at the bottom of that page that I have new clients fill out um, with pertinent information. But I also have all my services listed. And at the bottom of those services, I too have now implemented a last minute cancellation fee for the mm-hmm. same reasons. It just started to get a little too out of control. And you know, it's taken hit after hit um, to the scheduling issues and no-shows and people forgetting our appointments and things like that. Um, so that's definitely an opportunity cost to consider, I think, when we're formulating what we charge per horse mm-hmm. as well. You know, there, like you said, there's all these hidden fees um, that don't don't get seen or discussed usually. And route for me is a big thing as well. Like one thing I do have to say though, is that my original mentor was a great businessman and he was very good at telling me how he planned his routes and scheduled his clients. And he actually didn't travel more than 20 minutes in any direction from his house. 
and looking back, I'm like, wow, I'm really impressed. How did you do that? (laughs) A a full book. Yeah. (laughs) And only travel 20 minutes in any direction. Um, but that's a huge consideration for me as well. You know, now over time, like I was, like I said, I was worse. I was much worse when I first started out, but now I've set my limits as I don't travel an hour in it or more than an hour in any direction. And I've actually recently with everything that's going on in the world currently, I've, I've cut that back and I've opened up my books again for areas that are within 30 minutes of my house so that I can actually hopefully, you know, potentially bring that area in closer. If I get back to maximum capacity again, um, with, more horses closer to home, I can look at some of those routes that are on the periphery of my travel zone. Like, Hey guys, sorry, here's a farrier or a barefoot trimmer in your area. I'm trying to bring my travel area in. And that's definitely something I've been very recently doing and considering. And I also got my, uh, uh, my car back on the road. (laughs) Because I was, I was also driving a big diesel truck. Like we have two big diesel trucks. One's an F two fifty, and one's a Dodge Ram thirty five hundred. And those things are so expensive to maintain and run. Um, I had to get a whole new set of tires for my dually. And you know, I think about three, three and a half years ago, when I last put a set on, it ran about one hundred eighty dollars a tire. And now this time I paid around $300 for a tire for six tires. So overall that cost me, I think around $2,000 just to put tires on my truck. And I was like, this is not sustainable. Like I'm not a traditional farrier. I don't have to thankfully haul around a forge and an anvil and a lot of the materials that most traditional farriers have to, like I need to get back in my, in my vehicle that is less expensive to run. Um, so Unfortunately, the only reason I wasn't driving it was because I hit a deer (laughs) back in November. And like, as you know, though, like, like I say, I hit the deer, but really deer hit you. Right. (laughs) You know, so, (laughs) but, you know, and even to just repair my vehicle to keep costs down, like my, thankfully my husband is talented enough to do repairs like that himself. And we went to a salvage yard. We spent a day, took a whole day off work, went to a salvage yard, found parts for it. And he repaired it to get it back on the road for me, you know, because he knew that driving the trucks was costing me so much money. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, yeah, when I started running the numbers, I was shocked at what I was paying just to be a mobile service, right. let alone the actual cost of doing the job or the hidden costs, like the cost of being a mobile service alone are fairly astronomical, you know, when you put it all down to pen and paper. Yeah. Yeah. Shocked. <laughs> and I know that we've sort of kind of left out that huge part of our business is, you know, the inflation and the the changes in the economy, especially right now, that directly bites into our like what we end up paying ourselves in our income. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that, you know, there were times before I narrowed my range that I was driving over 200 miles a day. And that's something where those costs have to come from somewhere, you know, it's so when we show up at a horse, that trim is already 
like we already have lost money. Like you, you, you lose money before you pick up the hoof. If you show up and you don't trim and you leave without getting paid, that's like a huge amount of money that you just spent right. just getting in your truck or getting in your car. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I'm just thinking like, since we're all from different areas too, I'm sure we, we end up traveling like different amounts, you know, like in the States, in a lot of the places where we practice, like everything's so spread out that sometimes it can be really challenging. Like for some of these more rural, really located farriers and trimmers, like they may have to travel an insane, you know, do an insane amount of miles daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, just to get to their clients. You know, like, like I'm fairly lucky. I live next to a very populated area so there's a lot of people, there's a lot of horses, and I'm probably not going to have to drive as far as some of these other farriers and trimmers do. Um, so I don't want it to sound like I'm I'm just complaining about driving and like fuel costs because I know so many people <laughs> have it so much worse, you know, than I do or take a much bigger hit than I do. But it's a huge consideration that I think gets overlooked. And, and we forget, too, that I think being a mobile Hoof care provider is something that's it's relatively new, you know, in the big scheme of things. Like farriers used to you used to go to the farrier, right? They used to have a forge set up and you would travel there with your horse. And and so they didn't have a lot of the same expenses. And I think some farriers are also trying to get back to that. Like I I know um a couple people that are hauling businesses only. And I don't know how I don't know. That's like this new territory that I would like to investigate <laughs> and yeah. I think I'm going to try to. Yeah. Um, but some people are very successfully running haul in only businesses. I was just going to say, I'm actually looking into that too. Not a haul in only business, but having an option for truck-ins and there are, and I was like, Oh, I wonder if I can charge less by doing that. And no, no. And that's yeah, actually make money, make money for yourself. But it's not even that. Like, I don't think I'm, I mean, yes, I'll save a lot of money in gas, but like you have to consider insurance on your property mm-hmm. or the property you're renting for uh, a, right. running a business. Um, liability insurance. Like I would lo- be looking into leasing a small area on a farm. Cause I don't have uh, the property to do truck-ins. So I have to not mm-hmm. only pay for the lease monthly, but also pay for, you know, extra and liability to make sure I'm covering if something happens to their property. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you you can't necessarily book the same amount of time per horse because you might have to juggle somebody who's coming in late. Like they're, they're, yeah. they hit traffic. And so you have to uh, factor that in, but also making sure that you're not having horses that don't know each other in close quarters and passing each other. You have to budget for that. Right. So there's costs in everything. Um, and what I was going to say is that I don't know who first posted about this and I wish I could give them credit cause it's awesome and it's hilarious. But, uh, when people are talking about, you know, trimming and, and, uh, caring for horses feet like if we think about people you know a person might go to a nail salon and sit in a nice comfy chair and get their their toenails done their fingernails done and i don't know in my area okay i don't i don't get my nails done but um it might i don't know it's like 25 dollars for a manicure and maybe like 45 dollars for a basic pedicure and Mm -hmm. now consider how like we are basically doing that except we're 
We're driving to somebody's house, picking up the legs on a 1,000-pound animal that could kill us, fighting them to make sure, you know, like basically doing this service on an animal that might not necessarily want that done and, you know, beating up our body. And Mm -hmm. people complain when our costs, some people complain if our costs are more expensive than what they might pay to get their toenails done in a salon. And it's just like... It's just mind blowing to me. Yeah, it's not even comparable. Yeah, right. Like, well, also, I've never peed on my pedicurist. (laughs) It's not a risk. Fair point. Like most people who are getting their feet done aren't at risk of death. If you know, if I pick out at them, (laughs) And, and and honestly, you know, like they're they're hoping to get this service done that's going to keep their horse sound and moving yeah. and working like if if somebody at a nail salon cuts my toe too my toenail too short like it might hurt a little bit but i'm probably not going to be at risk of losing a career because of it and yeah it's just when you put it in that perspective it's it's funny because sometimes the prices are comparable and should yeah. they should they be like <laughs> well it's just like i think so much of what we've talked about in this conversation is like you know hit it whether it's like a hidden expense or or you know things that people aren't maybe necessarily thinking about or or what we don't think about until it comes up to bite us in the ass which is like hello that's my that's basically my business model is don't think about it until it goes wrong um (laughs) right don't recommend um but really like when it comes down to it we provide this super valuable service and you know it's not that long ago that I was not able to do this and I had to pay somebody to do it and I remember there were a couple times where I was like who you know when I got my bill but I never I never was like oh this is not worth it because it was my horse like I needed them to be comfortable and sound and healthy and to me it's just part of responsible horse ownership and so I try really hard to like re-enter that perspective when I'm feeling anxious about raising a price or like setting a price or thinking about wanting to charge people because this is like an insanely valuable service. And if somebody wants to or needs like no shame if somebody can't afford my services, I don't judge. That's totally fine. But you know, it's not about devaluing what I do to fit somebody's budget because I'm providing something that's like super important to the horses we all are and you know money as an owner money is is a obviously a big part of big part of the equation but it's not the only one i could go buy a 300 dollars saddle and put it on my horse's back and like hope for the best and if that's all i can afford well okay maybe i'm gonna do that hopefully not but you know i can also do what i did and buy like a 4500 dollars saddle but i'm fine to do it because it keeps him healthy and happy and comfortable and sound. And that's what we're doing. We're keeping horses sound and healthy and comfortable and really contributing to their quality of life and their owner's ability to do what they want with them. That's so valuable. We're doing good work, ladies. (laughs) That's that's such a good point. I think we really overall as an industry undervalue ourselves, you know, and get so concerned over what other people are going to think about, about everything. (laughs) Yeah, everything that we do and what we value our services at. So, no, I love that you brought that up. That's such a good point. Because I know, like, um, it's 
every time I've had to raise prices or I shouldn't say had, but every time I have raised prices, it's been terrifying for me, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I talk to other professionals, like, how should I word this? How should I, how should I approach this? You know, how much should I go up? You mm-hmm. know, all these, all these questions. And I like, I hate talking shop. Like I could talk all day about the owner's horse, nutrition, biomechanics, mm-hmm. all of that. Super confident and fine discussing that with the owner. But it, when it comes to price, I am absolutely terrified, <laughs> you know, yeah. the price of those services and the cost of that knowledge that I'm sharing with them. And I know we didn't fully discuss like, like the elephant in the room, you know, I think worldwide, we are all in the same boat right now. You know, it's not just something that's happening in the, in the United States or Canada or Scotland, it's happening everywhere. And everyone is aware of inflation rising at a tremendous rate. Yeah. Going up really high at at very great speeds. Um, And so everything's going up. And like we said, I know when I run the numbers, my number one cost as a mobile service is the cost of running and maintaining my vehicle. Mm -hmm. Right. Second to that is probably rasps. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm being honest, right? Yeah. (laughs) And, um, but yeah, so number one cost as a mobile service is my vehicle. For sure. So everything that's going on right now with inflation and the cost of fuel and gas going up, it's, I think it's hitting everybody really hard. And like, I know it's hitting clients hard as well. And so it's been a mental struggle with me. I still haven't changed anything yet. I'm still vacillating back and forth as to what I think I should do for my business. You know, whether that's a increase in price, price per horse because I think cost of, of tools and materials has gone up on average, like 15 to 25%. Does mm-hmm. that sound about right for everybody? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and then depending on what you drive, like I said, I was lucky to get uh, back in my gas vehicle, but the, per, you know, the overwhelming number of like farriers drive uh, diesel trucks, right? Maybe a gas truck. And so that's even more expensive. That's huge costs to run those vehicles. And I know we're all staring at these numbers in the face and we're all kind of not sure what, what necessarily to do. Like we know that something's going to have to change. Right. Or there's a chance that if, if we don't go up, like we might have to get a different job, you know, like that's kind of a reality that is staring. I'm sure many people in the face, especially like people that are new to the industry that maybe don't have full books yet. Or like we said, are are undercharging to try to get clients they're not going to survive and we need as many young people as possible to work in this industry. I think the average age of like most people in professions that are similar, like, like plumbers, electricians, you know, any type of trade, the average age is like 55 to 60 years old. So I, it concerns me for the entire industry, what we are going to see happen you know, what, what changes are going to occur? Like, like we are all obviously going to have to go up in our prices some one way or another, right? Whether it's a trip charge an increase in a trip charge or an increase in a price per horse or an increase in the shoeing services that we offer. Um, otherwise at some point it won't become feasible for us anymore to operate our business. And we may have to look at other avenues of employment and, that scares me for the industry as a whole, you know, all those factors that I just discussed. 
Um, like, is this going to become a wealthy person's game? You know, are they going to be the only ones that can afford to maintain their horses, you know, for dental care, hoof care, vet care, just the overall cost of owning a horse. And it's, it's really concerning to me overall. So I don't know if anybody else has anything to add on that subject. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have the same concerns. Um, you know, especially I drive a diesel. I do have a, a trailer, but you know, it's not set up yet. I bought it last year and it's just a cargo train. But you know, one prime example is I do my oil changes every 5,000 miles because I have a six liter Ford and they are very fussy about their maintenance and doing my own oil changes. It's between a hundred and $150 every time that I do it. Yeah. And then to kind of put it into perspective. So I was in Southern Illinois this past weekend. So I was down there Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and it was just over a thousand miles when I got home. So I do oil changes very frequently and, you know, I'll change the fuel filter, every other oil change and tires. We're not going to talk about that because that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Cause we have a six Oh two. So I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And even like, I don't know about you guys, like all of our vehicles are old. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, <laughs> you know, ours are all, I think 2004s and looking at the, the prices of new vehicles or even the price of used vehicles. Like I was looking, I have a Chevy trailblazer. It's an 04 Chevy trailblazer. And I was just looking like when it was out of commission, what it would cost me to replace it. And it would cost me today what I paid for it back in 2008. I'm like, that's crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's I drive crazy. a 14 year old, um, bright, well, yellow Volkswagen golf. And I just like <laughs> shove everything in the back. It's it's getting to like the last times that it can do this for me. And mm -hmm. yeah, like I really wish that I bit the bullet and bought a new vehicle even last year because right. the inflation is just like even used vehicle prices. Like you said, like I, I was talking to a, a used dealership in my area and they've just like the they tried not to laugh at me when I told them my yes. budget, but they were like, uh -huh, yeah, I guess we'll call you if something comes in. It's like, okay, great. See you never. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I think like, I'm going to have to hop off in a sec, but in terms of inflation, like I think Kristen, I think that was you who said that like this first like little bit about worrying about the industry. I mean, oh yeah, I think that really kind of sums it up, right? Like everyone really is in the same boat. And so however we choose to deal with it um, or like need to deal with it as practitioners and as business owners, like things are going to change and, and we're all going to try and scrabble on to survive. Um, and I feel like my perspective so far has been like, I'm sure my clients are feeling it the same way that I am. And so my goal isn't to be like totally unscathed. Like I don't want to be milking the fact that I'm providing a needed service. And so like, oh, hey, my nothing's changed for me. I'm just going to put my prices up and be totally fine. But also walk that line of not subsidizing for other people, the fact that they're going through it because you flip it around and, and so are we as practitioners. So like, it's really hard times. And I'm, it's, you know, we're just trying to walk that line. I think all of us of, of keeping our heads above water and and doing what's fair without either kind of taking advantage of people or on the flip side, just subsidizing what we are both going through. 
it's an incredibly difficult one because, like, you know, we're all going through it. You know, the mm-hmm. fuel, fuel has gone up. But, yeah, then, then that has a knock-on effect on food and everything else and hay and, you know, every, but every single person is suffering excess mm-hmm. costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have to, I have to hop off and sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to say like thank you. Uh, it was really nice to meet and chat yeah, with all of you. Thank you so and, much. Uh, mm. Yeah, talk talk to you later. I hope. Yeah. Have a good Same. Thank you. See ya. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Yeah, and actually, I'm gonna have to get going too. Um, but I really appreciate all your time and all your comments, and I think this will be great. Awesome. But right. Okay. Thank you so much for doing this. And I really appreciate all your comments. And this was a fun conversation. So I'm so glad you all hopped on. It no was. Thank, thank you for bringing us all together, Alicia, oh, yeah, and everything course. that you do. <laughs> no you know, I learned so much from all your podcasts. I do They're too. Wonderful. Not from what I say, but from what other people say. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <Yeah. laughs> all right. Well, have a good rest of your day, everyone. Thanks, well, guys. Bye. 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 I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person, and chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too, so we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.